So me and my cousin Joe used to go hunting all the time together. And John's more like a bow hunter, and me and Joe were more like the rifle hunters. We would carry sandbags out in the field because we knew how steady we would be. Good shape, go up the mountain, go down the mountain like it's nothing, and we didn't care about weight. But our freaking rifles weighed 15 pounds. I don't know if you guys, the old school 308 yep. with the heavy barrel. Oh, yeah. And people thought I was crazy. I'm like, why are you shooting? Why are you hunting with this 15-pound rifle? Because every time I made a shot with that 15-pound rifle, I made the shot. The you confidence. Know? Oh, every, confidence is everything in the field. Hello, everyone. This is Chet Gray with Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have a special episode today with Anthony Stallone from Phoenix Shooting Bags. Um, many of you in Arizona have probably heard of him or seen some of his products being used in the field. These are shooting bags for rifle hunts and or for long-range competition um, on the PRS, the Precision Rifle Series, stuff like that. Um, that's very active here in Arizona. Anthony started this business, Phoenix Shooting Bags, in the mid-2000s uh, just because of the necessity of needing to have a stable rest when you're out hunting. And it's morphed into a pretty sizable company where word of mouth travels fast and lots of people use his product. Anthony's going to talk about all things rifle hunting, touch a little bit about um, development of this bag, how he got started, and how to mount your optics, how to mount all the components in order to have a successful hunt and have a complete accurate rifle system. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have a special guest, Anthony Stallone, in studio with us today. We're going to be speaking everything rifle. I know we have lots of passionate archers out there. Mike is a diehard archer, but I'm finally convincing him to maybe take up some long-range shooting with a large caliber, not just the Creedmoor that everybody loves. How are you, Mikey? Uh, doing good, and I do love my Creedmoor, so I, that's my that's what I consider long range shooting right there. No, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna show that that is not a long range weapon um, in the sense of big big calibers, the thirty calibers. And we have Anthony Stallone from Phoenix Shooting Bags in studio today. How are you, brother? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you guys having me on. We are very blessed to be able to have him come into studio. Um, we really appreciate his time. Everybody's got. Uh, Lots of stuff going on, lots of hunts starting in Arizona. It's fall, starting to cool down and feel great when you wake up in the morning and get outside and uh, everybody wants to be out doing stuff. So our time is precious and we really appreciate you coming here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Without further ado, for anyone that doesn't know you or, shoot, or Phoenix Shooting Bags, if you could introduce yourself and tell us about your company, please. Yeah, my name is Anthony Stallone, um, the owner of Phoenix Shooting Bags. Uh, our company is basically, we built ultra lightweight bags um, so that you guys can be steady out in the field and feel like you guys are like on a bench rest and make every shot count. We're passionate about, you know, making a one shot kill, uh, being able to shoot at longer range very accurately. Uh, we, we, we say that we, take away the crosshair wobble uh, that many of you have issues with. So uh, a lot of people get uh, target panic when shooting, and we try to eliminate that. 
as best as possible. Um, I don't do a great job of, you know, teaching that on my social media, but I, I try my best if somebody calls me uh, and to explain to them that, you know, you don't want to muscle the gun. You kind of want the bags to do the work for them. And uh, if you use the bags properly, you'll, I mean, it's like being on a bench rest 90% of the time. Yeah, a lot of people overgrip it when that support hand, when they have their good grip, no matter what type of stock you have, they overgrip it kind of with that C clamp on if you're right handed with your left hand, and that can torque and and influence you know the 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 bullet when it's coming out of that that barrel, and that little little bit plus target panic plus your adrenaline and everything, all those totality adds up real quick and if you just let the bag support it and have a good steady rest let it do its job right well i I say don't put any muscle into the gun it's just like a bow like if you keep on pulling keep on pulling and mike could you know since you're you're an archer and you you know what i'm talking about if it surprises you when it's shooting that's a good shot Mm -hmm. you know and you didn't force it to go so i i teach kids to be really light in the trigger and make sure that everything is not canted to not put any input into the gun except your trigger finger. Mm-hmm. And it's like what, I, what I'm trying to teach them is to kind of keep like put their index finger on the trigger and just keep on pulling lightly, keep on pulling, keep on pulling, keep on pulling. And just until the rifle goes off and has have it surprise them. Now the bags is what I'm having them aim you know, with. So for kids, I would say the best application, say if you're using the bags, for me, I like using the large, the ultimate bag, and I usually use the TBD bag. And Mike, I should have brought something so you could see what I'm talking, what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. So basically the TBD bag is one of my, my favorite bags is the bag I'm known for. And I use that on top of the, the large. What happens is that it nestles the front of the stock so that the rifle will come back to them every time the same. So if you put it in like a, a like a clamped or any type of vice, it's not coming back to them every time the same, and then they're going to lose sight of picture. So that is the best for the front of the stock. Now, for the rear bag, you could use multiple bags of mine. You could The extra small bag usually is like the most common, like, like a sandbag. It's very small. A lot of people can understand it it's very easy on their hands and they can squeeze it Mm -hmm. and i tell everybody when they get the bags really break it in because it's really hard and stiff and like like it needs to be able to gritty almost and it needs to yeah it needs to work like so when you when you're squeezing it it needs to come down a couple moa like i I shoot mills but a lot of hunters are using moa scopes so I'll, i'll speak in moa so when I'm telling somebody, I always tell somebody, hey, aim above and squeeze down on the, on the, on the rear bag to let the, the crosshairs come down onto the, onto the animal or to your target. And when you're squeezing, like, you, could be, you should be able to squeeze about at least four or five MOA out of the bag. Absolutely. All right? When you get it, you're probably going to be able to get like a half MOA out of the bag. So I tell everybody, really break it in. And then there's a strap on the bag if you want to make it tighter or whatnot. But the extra small is like a typical, um, like, rear bag. Now we have the small Ridge Runner, which is, like, almost, I wouldn't say double, but bigger than this than the extra small. 
that bag to me is my favorite to take as a rear bag because you don't know what, especially hunting. So if you don't like when you're out in the field, you just don't know what you're going to be faced with. If you're going to have an uphill shot, a downhill shot, you know, so I could always, I tell everybody, listen, you could always make a small bag an extra small if you use like a corner, but you can never make an extra small, a small bag because it can't get bigger. Right. Both bags are great. Like I said, I love extra small, probably better for the kids because it's easier for them to squeeze, but you always kind of want like, to me, you want a little bit more just in case if you have to like twist it on its size, get a little bit bigger, what have you. Um, and the weight is so minuscule that it, <laughs> it doesn't impact, you know, you're not thinking of a giant spotting scope versus binos. It's, it's so minuscule. Yeah. That, I mean, but it does, it's, it is a little more cumbersome, but I, I strap them to the back of the pack and you wouldn't even know that they're there. So the extra small weighs 5.6 ounces and the small weighs like 7.8 or something or eight ounces. It's not, it's very minimal. You're not going to, you're not going to notice it. Yeah. Um, but then we have the medium bag. And a, a lot of guys, so what, what I'm for the, over the years, what I found out is that a lot of older gentlemen have a hard time being prone now on, you know, while shooting. So they have really tall bipods and bipod is great. If you know how to use it, I mean, I would say 80% of the hunters out there use a bipod to shoot off of. Now, if you know how to load a bipod the correct way, you're going to, be unreal however you don't know what's the terrain that you're going to be facing with on a reg on, on any hunt so mm -hmm. having a bipod if you shoot off a bipod and and side in off a bipod you, a lot of guys are signing off on a bench and whatnot so when they're shooting off that everything is stable but when you get into hunting nothing's stable you never i've never been on one piece of ground that's ever the same right so now your zero is going to be different. You're loading the bipod different. You don't know how it's going to jump. And that's why I teach shooting off the bags, like everything off the bags, because it's, it's a stable platform. Correct. So if you do have a tall uh, bipod, a lot of these older gentlemen are using the medium bag as a rear bag. And I really, you know, I wasn't, I don't use that system, but now that I've been faced with things with my kids on really downhill shots. Like when you go bear hunting, I don't know if, mm -hmm. you know, they're freaking on cliffs. Sure. Oh yeah. Like super steep. I have had to switch the bags. So instead of having a uh, large in the back or with the TBD, what I've done is I've had to switch. I've had to put a small in the front and a giant one in the back and the medium or the large in the back having that crazy of an angle and i mean it's scary on some of these you know i mean you live in arizona so we know how terrain right. could change quickly it's not an uphill shot we're talking downhill so you want support in the in the rear mm -hmm. the rear is the most important to me to be honest with you, to be the most stable so a lot of guys are using this medium bag for a rear bag obviously with tall tripod shooting downhill whatnot so it's you can use these bags like any way, whatever fits the the shot, you could, you could you could manipulate it one way or the other. And having two different sizes allows you to adapt and overcome in all these different terrains. It does, it can apply here in Arizona, which 
is where we're based out of and where you're based out of. But in any terrain, it's going to help you. Um, can we paint a picture for people that are, I know what you're talking about. When you're putting that medium bag, you're kind of putting it in underneath your arm, right? And no. underneath your shoulder? No, no, no. When I'm on a downhill shot, I just put it straight. So so here's, the, say it's a bipod. Bipod's holding the front of the stock. Are you sitting or are you? Laying down prone. Okay. Because um, there's, so think about it like this. It's triangular, right? So you need you need something to fill this gap. I don't know how you could explain that right. on, the, on, on this podcast, but the, there's a lot of gap between the rear stock and the ground. You need something that's going to hold the rear. The, the main thing is having the rear stock not be manipulated by the shoulder. So what you're trying to do is not have any, any body influence. Yeah. It's like kind of like a, a free floating shot or, you know, it, it's. Oh, so anybody that's for everybody listening, you're envision looking straight downhill and knowing that that incline is anywhere from 10 to 40%, depending on where you're at. And if that rifle barrel is pointing downhill, obviously the barrel's closer to the ground than the stock. And you need to have that stable platform underneath the stock as well. Yeah. Cause now you got like 14 inches or 12 inches or 16 inches, depending to get to that stock. Right. So that's why they're using the rear bag as support going on a downhill. And now it basically it's a reverse on the uphill. So you want the, all the, the, the big bags on the front of the stock to go uphill. And now you want the smallest bag as a rear bag. Gotcha. So it's just reversed. That's gotcha. All. And what made you come up with these? Did you try bags in the past and you didn't like what you saw? Or where did you have that epiphany to, to create Phoenix shooting bags? I, I told this story on all, my cousin's podcast, John Stallone's podcast many times. So if you're hearing this again, I'm sorry. But me and my cousin Joe, because my cousin Joe is my hunting partner. And uh, my cousin John, as you guys are friends with, He's actually my brother's hunting partner. We kind of like split up because everybody doesn't have tags and who's, you know, you don't want to put four per people on one tag because then nobody gets drawn. Right. So we always used to split it up. And me and my cousin Joe are a little closer than, you know, my brother, you know. So we put my brother and my cousin on a tag, John, and me and my cousin Joe on a tag. Put my brother and my cousin on a tag, John, and me and my cousin Joe on a tag. So me and my cousin Joe used to go hunting all the time together and... John and my brother used to go hunting because you know, sometimes you'll get the same unit, sometimes you won't. So him and I would always, John's more like a bow hunter and me and Joe were more like the rifle hunters. And we would carry freaking <laughs> sandbags out in the field because we knew how steady we would be. And, and we're talking, we're younger. We're right. probably like 19 years old, 20 years old, and one of the best shapes. You know, we played soccer all the time good shape go up the mountain go down the mountain like it's nothing and we didn't care about weight but our freaking rifles weighed 15 pounds i don't know if you guys the old school 308 yep. with the heavy barrel oh yeah and people thought i was crazy i'm like why are you shooting why are you hunting with this 15 pound rifle because every time i made a shot with that 15 pound rifle i made the shot i it didn't have to worry about um not being settled not being the know. confidence oh every confidence is everything in the field so we both had 15-pound rifles. We both carried a five-pound sandbag with us and maybe even more, five, seven pounds, whatever it was. And it just, in our late 20s, it got heavier. 
We weren't playing soccer as much. We were playing, but we weren't, you know, we were right. still strong, Growing but yep. we were like, we're stupid. Like, what the hell? We need to lighten up. Yep. We weren't going to lighten up our rifles because we weren't, we weren't going to go pay for another rifle. Our rifles are shooting great. Why are we going to do that? Let's lighten up our load. And, you know, we have to take water. That's 100%. Yep. So we were like trying to think of things. And he's actually the one that came up with, because he would have a sock that was filled with sand. And I had like one of those Walmart freaking V bags. So I had the, the V bag for the front of the stock and he would carry that. So we would like dis- distribute the weight. And he's the one that like broke open his like bean bag and used the, the fill and filled it with the sock. And it was working great as a rear bag. <clears throat> and I was like, freaking, you're genius. Like, you're so smart. How come we didn't think about this earlier? Eureka. Right? However, we tried the same setup for the front and it didn't work. And then that's where everything happened. That's where I started like starting thinking outside of the box. What can I use? I started using multiple different uh, applications and a lot of, I'm telling you, a lot of things did not work. R&D, right? Yeah. So my mom, like, I don't know, you know one of those dry bags? Mm -hmm. So I had, I bought one at Walmart. You get like three in a pack or something like that. It was like 10 bucks, whatever, $20. And then I just started going through like fill, different types of fill, different types of fill. And it came to a point that I've probably spent two, $300 on different fills and trying to figure out things. But this is for me. I don't care. Yeah. Like I wasn't thinking about a business. We're talking about where I'm in my 20s. Yep. And then just one day I found this perfect product and it just, <clears throat> it just worked. The rest is history. It just like, it was like sand, but light. And it acts like sand and it's a microfill and it just boom. But the whole thing is, is that I was filling these bags with this microfilm and then you go out in who's their country. Cause oh, that's yeah. all we hunted was who's there. Yep. And you're in the Akatia, you're in the cat claw, you're in all this stuff. And then it just boom, touched the bag once. And then this stuff is really, really fine. I mean like it, the stuff that I use is kind of like almost like a grain of rice. All right. I mean, not a grain of rice, like a grain of sand and it's that small. And it starts flying out of the bag. And it's like a snowstorm in in in, in uh in, the in desert. Arizona in the yep. desert. And exactly. I was like, what that was all this white stuff? And I'm like, damn, that's it. So then my mom came and helped me out. She's I was figuring out what's the best material. And we came out, you know, found the corridor material. And then, you know, I was starting with lightweight corridor and that stuff didn't work. And that's how I got to the thousand D corridor. And it just held everything a lot better and boom. And, and holds the, up to all of our elements. Correct. Correct. I mean, you could, I haven't, if you had knock yep. on wood, I have not received the bag back yet. I received one bag back yet, but that was because my, we didn't stitch it right. And my son sent that out to a customer. And I'm like, and I had, I drove to his house because he had a hunt the next day. And I, it was a freaking an hour and a half drive just so he could get the bag on his hunt. And I, yeah. I don't know if he's listening to this and he'll, he'll, he's like, <laughs> I cannot believe you just did that. Customer service. Well, I want everybody to be able to, yep. you know. Sure. So I drove out there just to give him his bag. Awesome. Just because, but the bag would not have failed. It just wasn't stitched all the way. Okay. It was halfway stitched. Uh, but it's all right. It happened. My son made the mistake, but he was helping me out. Right. So I just realized I should have had a business idea 25 years ago from a, my old buddy Scott. So he did the same thing. So he was a crown drinker. So you used to keep little crown bags. Uh-huh. Remember those little squishy things? You'd squish and get stressed and you squish those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would pack his little crown bottles Little sacks with uh, full of those, and that's what he had used for all of his shooting. Really? 
Yeah. It's almost like the same concept. I just I just dawned on me back from the nineties. He used to have all his little squishy balls in his hands. He'd pack all of his crown bags, and then he, that's how he'd set up all of his stuff. Yeah. It, and his excuse was, I got to go drink more crown. I got to make some more shooting yeah, bags. Yeah, and uh, I'm stressing <laughs> here, so I got to get some more little stress balls, and that's how he'd do it. It's almost like the same kind of concept. Yeah. No, listen, <laughs> it, it works. Anything to do to, to be steady out in the field. Yeah, that's true. But, I, totally, I totally forgot about that until you explained how you, how you came up with the whole concept because that's how he did it. I totally forgot, and I used to, we used to always harass him. We just thought he liked drinking Crown, and he you know, was always excused to have little squishy balls in his hands. But <laughs> listen, pack I, full, I've seen know? so many people out in the field with different applications yep. and yep. different, like lightweight bags and how they do it. All these man-made stuff. And listen, God bless them. That's what we're. That's yep. you know that's what we're doing. Everybody wants to save money. I'm. The thing is, is I made this business not wanting. Like I couldn't care less about the money because it's. You know, I work three other jobs, so it's not like that's my full-time gig. I did it because John was like, I was building these bags for his clients that they were, because he would take them and they'd be like, oh, how do I get a bag? And I'm like, oh, all right, whatever, I'll make it for you. I'd ask my mom and she'd do it. And um, then he's like, stupid, make some money off this stuff. And that's how it became out because he's like, hey, why don't you make a little business out of this? And that's how it started. And now it's, now it's bigger than I thought it would ever get. I mean, and I'm enjoying Every yep. minute of it. Not that not that we're making crazy money or yep. because of the money. It's nothing about that. It's like I get photos. I get people calling me, asking me for advice that, I mean, I hope I'm giving them the right advice. But, I mean, when you see a photo, you know you did something right. Um, when they said, I could never made a shot without your bags or, yeah. or, like, what makes me, like, the most proud is, to be honest with you, is, like, the kids – I love when a kid has never shot a rifle before or their dad has tried to teach them how to run. Oh, everybody teaches them old school way of shooting a rifle. Yep. And we could get into Guilty. this. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And like Mike was telling me earlier, I had a 30-odd six when I was like what did you 10. Say? 10 years I started old. when I was 10 years old, 30-odd six. Same thing with me, okay? And yep. I'm telling you right now, it took yep. me forever to get out that flinch, that freaking panic of boom. I've, I have worked so hard to not have any child get that feeling. I te what I teach parents is like, and how you're saying, get them that 300, get them out of the 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm going to tell you, and I don't, I don't want to make you feel bad, but stick with the 6.5 Creedmoor. Guess well, what? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking exactly. for adults, for yeah. kids, you want a smaller caliber. I don't want a kid. 6.5 Creedmoor, baby. Come on I'd now. shoot a... 243 or, or or 264, which is the same as a 6.5 for my kids. And I, I, I get them into shooting 22s first so that they don't flinch and so it doesn't have kick. But no. for adults, long-range 6.5 is no. That's a no-go for me. Yeah, See, honestly, I've killed everything with the 6.5 cream more. Me too. <laughs> I've, I've shot two cow out full big. At three, I shot one at 300 yards. shot one at and I'm not saying I've shot coos deer at 500 yards. Tell you, it's all shot plate. So think about an archer. It's where you put that bullet. If you hit, the, if you hit that M, or supposed to hit it, and it's going to go down. And you, you're exactly right. So this is what, and I'm glad you're bringing this up. And I'm, and, and I just, this is how I educate. Oh, this what, is fun. So look at me. My kids, all right, all my kids. Yep. All my sons. Two forty three, eighty seven grains. 
Tika gun. Mm-hmm. Tika has nothing special about it. It's got a brake on it, and it's got a McMillan stock, factory trigger. Okay, I have a decent scope on their gun. It's not the best, yeah. but it's a good scope. Okay, Picatinny rail mounted correctly. Scope mounted correctly. We have a level on the gun, and I tell every parent that is the one of the most important things to put on that rifle. Have a not a heavy trigger pull and not a light trigger pull. Both of them will come back you in the ass. Okay, so my happy medium, all right, is to get a good stock like McMillan on every rifle. I have, if you see all my rifles, they are, every one is with a McMillan stock. Why? Because. The quality. Yes. And free floating barrel, you're not going to have issues with it, and they work. Some of them, my better ones have the cheek rest that can move up and down and left and right, which in my opinion is the most valuable thing you could have on a stock. However, my kids, they have a cheek pad, which helps out. Like every, every gun should, everybody should be putting a cheek pad on their, on their stock to get the height, just like with the bags, Mm -hmm. they need a point of reference that they're not moving their cheek up and down, just like a a kisser on, on a bow. Or when you're, you you want your sight picture to be the same every time. And that's especially with bow hunters, you know, you're pulling back, you're going through your sequence, you're, you're, you're getting nestled. It's the same thing with the rifle. Every gun should be fit to the person that's shooting it. And that's where we lack our, our like, I guess everybody just, here's a rifle, go shoot it. Nobody takes the time to properly fit that rifle to somebody. Right. I can't tell you how many people are shooting rifles that are wrong for them that are either too short or too long, not the right, you know, fit for them. You need to fit the rifle perfectly to that person. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't, you know, manipulate it if you had no choice. Yeah, it's a rifle. But you want to be comfortable and you want to set them up right. So my kids, when they're, you know, they were young, their, their stock was shorter. Now that they're a little bit older, actually, my 18-year-old is six freaking one and way bigger than me. So we needed a length in it. Yeah, you, you know? need that longer length to pull. So... Properly fitting the rifle to anybody is key, but there, there's like methods to do it. Just like a bow, and you're using the right arrow setup, you're using everything the correct way. So, in my opinion, setting up the rifle is the most important thing. And like I said, good Picatinny rail mounted correctly with Loctite so it doesn't shift. Good rings, like don't. Don't skimp on the rings. Like that is one of the most important things on a rifle. That is gonna hold that scope in the brush. In the like you set that thing, that thing's gonna get bumped. You want something that's gonna be completely stable out in the field. Mm-hmm. That you have confidence that if it got hit, it's not gonna get messed up. Um, a good scope. Honestly, I would rather you put money into the scope than the rifle. I'm telling you right now, there's those there's there's rifles that cost anywhere from 500 bucks or 400 bucks, whatever they are, to thousands of dollars. And I tell you right now, I've shot most of them. 
And I tell you that $400 rifle can shoot just as good as that two or $3,000 rifle. And people are like, no, I got this great carbon fiber barrel, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if that carbon fiber barrel and you put a bullet that the, that carbon fiber barrel does not like, it's not going to shoot that great. Right. You got to find what, what bullet likes your gun. And I've seen so many of those Ruger guns that are 400 bucks. What are they? I think they're called American Predator. American, American Predator. Yeah. That's one of the freaking best shooting guns out there for the money. Right. I, Six five Creedmoor got one in the safe. Yeah. Oh boy, it's, John, ki- it's killed an elk at three hundred fifty yards. That's not long range. One hundred twenty <laughs> grain bullet. Listen, and they're <laughs> and they're great, and they're great they guns. Fantastic guns. I, I'm a big believer in the Tika, and everybody's like, "Oh, and what you like the Tika? That freaking Tika because out of the box." Because that action is unbelievable. It's unreal. They, now their stock is not one of my favorites, and that's why I change out all the stocks on that gun. And I, I mean, it's a good stock. It's lightweight. They really, I've spoken with many people, and they really tell me about how much work they put in that stock. But I don't like it. I don't like how round it is. I don't like, I like a flat bottom. Mm-hmm. I love it. And my favorite, if everybody wants to know, is the, right now it's the Game Warning 2.0 with McMillan. It's one of my favorite stocks. I think it's affordable. I think put the money into that. You can be happier with that that stock. But obviously, everybody doesn't have that kind of money to spend, especially with kids. You know, it's you know. But Tika, the Ruger, any of those guns are going to do the job. However, if I were to say put money into something, the scope. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to, you know, influence anybody of what scopes to buy. But there's a reason why those scopes are high end, and there is a reason why you're paying that money. <clears throat> and I'm not going to badmouth any of the companies because. I think everybody has a place because everybody has, you know, a financial. Yeah, uh, their their window in order to be able to afford. But yeah, so if there's money to be spent, spend it on the scope, not the rifle, and then a big. You I can't would, hit what you don't see. Correct, and a big thing's a lot. A lot of people have heart is the trigger. Uh, too heavy of a trigger is just. It's you. you you can't the rifle. You're pulling too hard. You're getting that. You want, in my opinion, two point two and a half pounds is the perfect for any hunting or any anything. Two still and a half drop pounds. safe and yeah, and still doesn't. Well, drop safe. You know what's so funny is that everybody talks about drop safe. I have never, ever, and I, everybody could think I'm crazy, but I've never put a bullet in the rifle unless I'm about to shoot. Never until I'm there. There's never a chambered round in my rifle because I, I am not going to shoot an animal that quickly. Right. I, I'm not back East. I don't need that. I'm here in West. I'm here hunting Arizona, you know, Utah, Nevada. I am not going there sneaking up on an animal. I'm going, I'm using my glass as my eyes to find them. And once I get to that spot, that's when I'm loading. Exactly. I don't need to load. And that's what the long range is all about is so that you could approach these animals that they don't know that you're there and you could settle and take your time to shoot the animals. I'd rather take a 500 yard shot with my son and not rush it and take our time and set up the bags and everything or my, any kid than take a hundred yard shot off of like a barbed wire fence or off hand. Right. Quickly. There is to me, 
I know I'll make that 500 yard shot as long as you know your clicks on your rifle, you know all your ballistics and whatnot. But I never rush it. Ask my kids. I'll, if we if we find something and it goes, we'll find another one. Right. I don't want I don't want them wounding an animal because we. It's not good for the kids to see that. It's 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 terrible. I've done it and and it just it's heartbreaking for them. So why waste? I I tell my kids they only give them one bullet, <laughs> and I have and I, I'm, I'm I say you get one bullet. Yeah, we call it the Barney Fife mentality. Yeah, you give Barney one bullet. That's all he gets. Yeah, that's it. And these kids know, like, I'm, like sometimes I'm serious, and sometimes I'm not. But, but <laughs> they don't know. Yeah, but so far these kids have surprised me in there, and even like John's, like we're taking John's girls out now. The last few years since they've been ten, my daughter last year she got her first javelina. Too bad. I mean. Awesome. Oh man, it's so fun. It's it so fun. fun. And I carried, and I'm not lying. And like I said, people may have heard this story before. A 22 pound, my PRS rifle for her javelina hunt. <laughs> you know, that sucks to carry 22 pounds. Oh, yeah. And we carried it for almost three miles. And because she said, Dad, I want to shoot my I want to shoot my pig with this rifle. And and that was at eight years old. Wow. She was eight years old when she shot her first thing. And she shot her, the first day she shot, she shot 100 yards with this rifle. She went 10 for 10. I told her she went 9 for 10, and she was pissed that she missed one. But then I went back, and she really hit it. And it was me that I just didn't hear it hit. And uh, so she shot 10 for 10 for the first, her first time shooting. The second time I took her out, she shot out to 800 yards. And she shot the target better than I did. Wow. Incredible. It's unreal. It's unreal. But they don't know different. They don't know that it's 800 yards. They just know that you're looking at something through the scope and you got to take your time to aim and keep bump. And I practice with them at the house, dry firing all the time without any bullets, guys. You know, nothing around, just dry firing. Right. And I have them dry fire at, it's, oh, I don't know, maybe we got maybe. 15, 20 yards in my house. I don't know. Not even like maybe, I, don't, I really don't know. Maybe things like 15 yards from one door to the next door. And, uh, I have them dry fire at a bolt. The, you know, right on your door, the, on, on the lock. And I have them dry fire on that all the time just to get steady. And I put them in different positions and I have them practice that way. So, okay. Hey, we're going to be sitting on this one. All right, let's get set up. Let's bring out the tripod. Let's bring out this. Okay. We're going to be, we we have an awkward position. Let's sit down and let's stack up the bags. Let's do it this way. Let's. So I bring them in these situations in a fifteen yard element. We're not out in the field. We're not shooting any bullets. They're not having any reaction to any kick of the rifle, and they're not expecting a kick. You know, because they're dry firing. So that's right. what's going through their brain. They're not thinking of a bang after the after the shot. Now, once you get them out in the field, yeah, they notice it, but. I don't give my kids, and this is where I was telling you about that. I don't care about what rifle we're shooting. Like I, I want it to be as least, the least kick possible. I have them shoot this. I, I built her a six GT, and not, not everybody can build a six GT. I'm sorry, it's not like really common, but that's like my PRS rifle. Right. Um. So now I built her a Tico off a six GT uh, platform, and it's got very little kick. We got a break on it, but she's not. She's not flinching. She doesn't even know. She, she, like I said, she doesn't even care that it's going off. 
And she's just and she's racking the rounds like like it's nothing. And the boys would used to do that with the two forty three, and I went through that process of my son, like he scoped his eye, my my oldest, and I went through a huge, um, I guess battle to try to get him to shoot again because he had an elk hunt. And actually, I talked to Joel Turner and people. If you have problems with any type of shooting uh, issues like target panic or whatnot, he's the guy to talk to. And he actually talked to me on how to help out my son. And these are the things that I've taken out and I've taught I taught other kids on how to do it and not because a lot of these kids I get and their dad has let them shoot their 300 wind mag or their freaking 30 odd six and they are, you know, all these big calibers that have a nice kick to it. Oh, yeah. These kids are going to flinch. They're scared crap. They're scared to, to, to take a shot. They're scared to pull that trigger. You see them. I see their hands, and I see them flinch. My kids, I'm, I, I try, like, they don't flinch anymore. They, I mess with them. I told, I've, I've, Like I said, I've said this before, but I mess with my kids. Like, I'll make believe I, I'll lure around, and I won't, and I'll just have them go and see what they do. And, and they don't, and sometimes they flinch. See if they have that anticipation or if they just... Yep. Smooth squeeze, yeah. trigger press. Correct. And when they were younger, they would sometimes I would catch them and be like, "See," and they're like, "Okay." And then you know, yep. and now and now they don't. Now they just boom. You come, you have them on the rifle. They're quick, mm-hmm. and and it's nice. It's nice to see that that they're not scared to shoot. Can you back up a little bit on what you said? On we know the scope um, is the, one of the most important pieces. What do you, when you're talking about putting your rings and putting the base on? And adjusting that reticle to make sure, can you uh, describe to some of our people on what you do in order to make that as secure of a platform as possible so that you don't have issues? Okay, so, all right, I want to, let's just. Start from the base. I'm going to I'm gonna deal with like a Tika rifle, okay? Because I, honestly, if somebody asks me, hey, what rifle should I buy? I tell them, just buy a cheap Tika, as cheap as possible, and that's it. Their barrels are freaking phenomenal. They shoot. I have not had one not shoot. I mean, they're great rifles. And a Ruger, as that's my number two. I said, if you can't afford it. But the thing about the Ruger is a little bit heavier than the Tika. And honestly, I like heavy better for kids. And I'm not going to... People are like, oh, I want this six-pound rifle. <laughs> not everybody could drive a freaking Ferrari. It's, you know, it's, it's like the lighter the rifle, the harder it is to control. Right. And... So I have like a, I like eight and a half to nine pounds on a rifle. That's my happy median on a, on a hunting rifle. So let's say if I'm building a Tika for somebody, all right? And we'll say we're, we're not going like to, usually I switch out the stock. That's my number one and I put a McMillan stock on it. And we'll talk about the stock because I think that's one of the most important things on the rifle. And people don't realize it that, they don't have a good stock. It's putting pressure on the barrel. The, the, the harmonics of the barrel will get messed up. Yep. So that's why I emphasize on purchasing a good stock or making sure it's a good stock. Um, but so Picatinny rail, if you install the Picatinny rail, what I do is I clean out all the bolts on the top to, 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 uh, install the, the Picatinny rail chasing all those threads i i take a little alcohol and i go with the q-tip and i make sure 
everyone is cleaned out because a lot of times that plastic gets stuck in it. Then I'll go and clean each of the bolts. Um, you can use whatever type of type of stuff. I use alcohol. I like alcohol. I don't know. It's just it's available in my house. It doesn't stink and just boom, I clean. It cleans it really well. Make sure everything is dried completely. I go with the Q-tips on where it's dried, and I make sure each one of those bolts uh, that's going to accept the thread is dried out completely. The bolts completely dried out. Then I add a little bit of blue Loctite. I want to make sure that Picatinny rail is not going to move. I can't tell you uh, how many people I find that they come out in the field and they're shooting, they're trying to shoot groups. They're like, I can't. I can't group. This rifle sucks. And then you touch their scope and you feel the slight little movement that's coming from the Picatinny rail that it's loose. And I can't tell you how many times it's happened. And a lot of, I've seen it happen a lot more on Remingtons than anything, to be honest with you. I don't know why. Um, Tika, I like how they have that extra little bolt. It's like, it's like a, it's not a bolt, but it's like a, like a little stopper. Like a little set screw. Yeah, and Mountain Tactical makes a really good Picatinny rail for that 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 gun. And I actually, I have that. I because I believe in Mountain Tactical company a lot. I, I actually uh, purchased a bunch of their stuff to sell on my website because I know it works. And I, I can't tell you, it's a great product. And they got a ten dollars spring that you could change out with the Tika, with the ten dollars spring. For their trigger? For their trigger. Ten bucks. I mean, listen, I love Timney Trigger, and they're out here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I I, I, I think, I I believe in the company. that uh, Timney's on all my rifles, except my Tikas. Because um, the Tika has such a great trigger that you don't really need to. And you could, Tika, you could actually just use the same spring that's on there and make it like almost, I think it's like three pounds. But like I said, I really like that two, two and a half pound uh, pull weight. So... Make sure the Picatinny rail is on there. And do not let it dry for like a day before you put on the scope. I don't, I make it dry. Like I don't want it to influence anything on that. So actually once I install that, I wait another day till I install the scope. Okay. So now it's the next day and now I'm installing the scope. I know that on the package it says, oh, wait like a few hours. I, 24 hours usually for me is, I feel comfortable. Because this is going to stay on the rifle forever. It's not like I'm going to go back and take it off. Right. So let it dry. Give it a day. I don't know. Unless you have a hunt the next day, you know. Obviously, you can't help it. Then I buy the best rings. I like Seekin rings. Um, uh, I think Seekin makes also um, the rings for, uh, uh, what do they make? For Vortex, I believe. Vortex. Seekin makes the, tig, the, the precision rings for Vortex. Um, also, I mean, there's many companies out there. I mean, there's all the better rings out there than, those, than that. But they're expensive and those are like what i use on my prs guns so i want right. to get into that uh like spur mounts and whatnot um but buy really good rings now the height of the rings is what's a lot of people i see like mess up with they don't know they yeah. want to uh, listen i get it you want to be as close as to the barrel as possible but there's close and then there's really really close i so here i'm gonna give you a situation that just happened and i just actually posted on my Instagram account. Um, a friend of mine, he had a 270 and he, scope was on there. He just bought a brand new scope and he is like, and I cannot get this gun to shoot. I, I'm doing everything. Everything is mounting correctly. He had a 
uh, a so-called source, Mountiscope, a professional, whatnot. I said, hey, like, explain to me what's going on. So he's explaining to me, like, every shot is here, left, right. One's going six inches to the right. I'm like, that's, that's not, that doesn't sound like a gun issue to me. Or a bullet issue. A bullet issue is usually like a couple inches off or one. You know what I mean? It's not. That sounds like a scope issue to me. So I've seen bad scopes. I've. Like sometimes people have too much of a gun for a cheapy scope and it knocks it out. Right. Right. So I'm like, hey, how close is your scope to your barrel? He goes, man, it's pretty close. And I said, like, how close? I'm like, can you take a picture and send it to me? Sends me a picture. I mean, it's like almost touching it. I mean, it's so close. I mean, we're talking millimeters from it. I'm like, that's your problem right there. I go, change out your rings. I said, get uh, just the next level up. I don't, he probably had extra small or whatever. And I'm a sm- you need a small or you need a medium, whatever it right. was. And get off that barrel. Like, that's your problem. Sure enough, he gets it mounted, picks it to another place, gets new scope rings. And I said, make sure you get better scope rings. Whatever scope rings he had, it wasn't. I wouldn't say one of the better ones. Okay. So does that. Goes to the gunsmith. Has him change it all out. And and he comes to me. Uh, was it yesterday? Well, I think it was Monday. They, Tuesday we went. I don't remember. But we went. And um, we start shooting the rifle. And I'm telling you right now. It's a 270. Browning A-bolt. And he said, I couldn't shoot this gun past 100 yards. I, I couldn't. It was not doing its job. But he put a brand new nice scope on it. And we had him shooting out to 860 yards by the end of the day. One shot out. So we were going from, we sighted in at 100. And then we started learning his clicks to his rifle. Got Like I have programs that can tell me how fast it's shooting. So his box on his box said, uh, 29. This was factory ammo. Factory ammo. Uh, 29, 30 feet per second. I, I don't remember. Maybe, maybe it was a little bit. No, 29, 70 feet per second. And then I put it on my calibration and it was shooting at 28 something. Right. So I'm like, listen, you pop, you plug this in. You're not going to get good data. You, you put shit in. You're going to not, you're going to get crap out. You know, you got to put good data in to get good data out. So we, yeah, factory it. box can shoot well match grade ammo could shoot well but the information that they're putting on the side is like specifics you know you don't know the wind you don't know the elevation you don't know the temperature and it's probably like in some closed environment correct correct so we got to get what his gun is shooting that bullet from right collected all that data and then i'm telling you he was getting sds better he was getting and S, stand, so SD means standard deviation on the bullet charge. Um, he was getting like four and fives. I don't, wow. I'm not even getting, I'm getting four and fives out of my PRS gun. And he's getting this out of factory ammo out of a 270. Honestly, guys, no joke. If you're going to buy a bullet, and I don't know if you guys could test it, the freaking Hornady ELDXs are unbelievable. If that's if if you're not loading and you need a bullet to go after an animal, I highly recommend everything that they made make with that ELDX bullet from 6.5 cream or the 143 grain to the 270. I think it's a 140. I don't remember whatever it is. Phenomenal. Whatever they did with that bullet, it shoots great. So 
factory ammo with them, I've always seen low SDs. So out of every rifle, maybe, okay, let me say every rifle, but out of most rifles, it, it shoots great out of. I don't know what they do. They seat the bullet perfectly for every rifle, and the jump is great or however they have it, but that's a good bullet. So I don't know if I no, that's explained good. what you wanted to hear. No. Good, good. I shoot the right bullets, and that's why I shoot my 6.5 now. Yeah. That's good. I, I did something right. Dumb luck. Why girl, you walk through Cabela's, and you say, yeah, I'm going to pick this one, and got lucky. Nah, it's not dumb luck. <laughs> He's like everybody's shooting. Everybody's smart. <laughs> I, that black box looks good too. It, that's true. The yeah, the Hornady hunters. Well, a lot of them. There's so many different target ammo, and then all of all of them that were hunters um, to me are getting better at that. And the factory loads are getting better and developing the technology with the the bullet better and the expansion instead of just punching paper or punching a target. You're you're getting that wound and that cavitation properly i i don't shoot hornady i shoot burger me too i shoot burger also i'm not gonna lie i, I do shoot burger but i'm saying out of the box yep. those hornadies you can't go wrong but i load all my ammo so that's why i shoot burger right and I, listen some burgers are really finicky the way you you know <clears throat> unless you have that perfect you know you know your coil is set perfect and whatnot and you, you've seen the bullet exact they shoot like crap and you see them like that's why i'm having a problem right now with my 6.5 prc and I couldn't get this thing to shoot. My buddy's like, yo, seat down the bullet a little bit more. It needs a little extra jump. And I was like going as close as possible to the lands. And he's like, and that's where my thought process is, is to go as close as the lands because you don't get as much jump. And he's like, no, these bullets need a little more jump. Seat them down a little bit more. So I went another 40,000s down and now it's shooting great. Yep. And that's that R&D when you get to do that when you hand load. And a lot of people don't, don't have the time, don't have the equipment, don't have the equipment that gets real expensive when you start loading. And that's what I, when I take people out, we buy or I'll instruct them to buy a couple different boxes. You want to see what your rifle eats just because someone has a Nosler or a Hornady in their six, five, as an example, since it is a very popular cartridge, doesn't mean that yours is going to the Tika, the Remington 700, and your Bergara could all shoot that completely different. 100%. 100%. And Berger is starting to make a few rounds in their own factory hunting. So you, I'd say if you could find that, and obviously hunting rifle and ri or ammunition in, in general is still hard to come by. So when you do if start buying it before you start building your rifle, if you know what caliber you're going to go. And you could have a Hornady, a Nosler, or, you know, whatever, try four, three or four different boxes if you're not hand loading. And if you... And different and different weights too. Like, yes. I agree. I I used to do that all the time with my 308. And this is back, this is way back when. And there's a weird company. I don't know if, it, I mean, it's still around, but it's not like one of those high, end, but it's called Black Hills. It was a Black Hills that shot so good out of this rifle that who would ever thought? Yeah. And me and my cousin both shot this. It was 175 grain Black Hills uh, ammo. Oh my god, that thing was bullet into bullet at a factory ammo, and my gun loved it. So that's what we shot. A and buddy six five shot <coughs> Nexus the best. Um, you know, you buy all these high end brands, and he's like, "What's Nexus?" I'm like, "It's actually really good ammo." And 
you had the, you know, one MOA groups out of factory ammo and you're shooting at 200 yards. All the others are, you know, a little bit bigger. They're not crazy, but you, you got to see what your rifle shoots the best. And if you're not loading, buy a couple different boxes, a couple different grains, 6.5, anywhere from Mikey, you shoot, what, 125 grain on your Hornady's? No, 143. 143s? Yeah, I like the heavier bullets. I shoot 135s out of my 6.5. Um, a lot of people like that 143. The PRC can accept a bigger bullet. I know Berger has that 156. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm doing right now is that 156. Honestly, I shoot the 140s out of my 6.5 Creamore, um, and I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's like three grains difference, but yep. but I'm even actually thinking about going the 140s for this, for an elk, this elk hunt that I got. And because the 156, I mean, they're great right now. They're shooting perfect. And that's where I kind of want to be. But I'm actually thinking about loading up a bash just to see how much better those 140s would act. Because I know I could kill an elk with a 140 grain. And Mike was saying it earlier. It's all about shot placement. And every deer that we shot with my kids is 80 seven grain that's what they use 87 yep. grain out of a 243 and now with the um, with the 6gt i use a one 109 109 or 108 i think it's 109 108 whatever it's their elite hunter out of the six millimeter yep. and phew, those elite hunters are just right it's like opening up a hose now if you're They'll shoot far, like those PRCs, the Creedmoors, the GTs, the the Cs, the XCs, all those six and six fives that are super popular. But would my thing is when people see those and they want to shoot super long range, when I consider long ranges seven hundred yards out, to me that doesn't have that energy down range to take some of those animals ethically in a one shot kill. I would not personally shoot an elk with a creedmoor at like 800 yards that i agree that i agree i don't think i don't think anybody should shoot anything at 800 yards to be honest with you and and i'm not trying to be like oh i mean if i had the opportunity and i was settled and i knew i could make the shot at wood but what i'm saying is i'm a bow i think as a bow hunter because 90 percent of my hunts are with a bow i know i can always get closer but there's also times that you're not going to get closer and yes i don't think a 6.5 creamer could shoot I mean, it couldn't, it could, but I don't, I wouldn't be confident like I would with the 300 PRC, like you're saying, or, or 300 rum or any of those higher, like seven mag or one of those. Right. And I feel way more confident having that behind me. Um, however, what I've noticed with the type of quality of the bullets today than in the past, <laughs> that the lighter bullets are actually causing more damage to the animal than the bigger bullets because I of the expansion could i've seen i've seen so i, I don't want to i don't want to say things that i'm just saying things that i've seen in, in in the field right and other people have said to me and they're noticing it also those heavier bullets like the two 210 220 whatever on elk the expansion and the like the knockdown pound that they're getting with like the 156s they're getting better. Like they're seeing the animal react and just drop with the 156s rather than the 210s. Because they're seeing that the 210s are just going straight through and not opening as good as it could. Like now, if you hit the shoulder, yeah, the 210 is going to cause more damage. because they. But oh, I'm talking about straight through vitals mm -hmm. where you're supposed to be hitting. 
they're actually seeing better better um, results better results with the, the lighter like 156 175 whatever like that and and 180s than than those heavy heavy bullets mm-hmm. see that's an interesting thing because i grew up around a lot of rifle hunters a lot of old school guys my dad and uncles and a lot of family and been around it and if I think back to elk hunting, they all use 300s, the, the big stuff, 180 grain. And it was always, you keep shooting that elk until it drops. Because they knew once that hits that first one, you got to get two, three more rounds in it in those late seasons. And it's interesting, now that we fast-forwarded, now it's about a one-shot kill. And it's not about just getting back on that gun and just keep pounding that, that elk. You know, shot after shot after shot. Well, and that, but that's the old-school mentality is you get the biggest, heaviest bullet, and it's going to hit it, and it's not going to drop. So you just got to unload that gun and just keep shooting till it drops. Well, and now we're, we've kind of reversed that. Now it's about shooting it, hit it once, and it drops. And it's not about that mentality. You just keep shooting it, shooting it, shooting it. It's interesting. Oh, it's completely, you're completely 100% right. But the, the thing is this. Back, this is where I come with yep. shooting a less powerful rifle. And this is why you're saying about the 6.5 Creedmoor. A lot of people... What happens is they take that first shot and they got such a kick in the rifle <laughs> that they lose sight picture of the of the animal oh, after yeah. the first shot. How hard is it to get on the first time telling somebody at a long distance shot how to get them on it at 500 yards? <laughs> They're trying to acquire the target. I mean, the elk is different because it's pretty big, but it is still hard. Um, and they're trying to acquire the target and now you shoot... And now you got that adrenaline running through your body, and now you're at, you're expected to make a follow up shot. Now with those big calibers, you lost sight picture. You have to acquire the target again. <coughs> you're trying to figure it out, especially now if you like a lot of people if they're using the bipod and stuff like that. And that's why I tell them to use the bags because the bags allow you to to be it make it a lot easier to acquire the target again. And so that's why I like having the kids shoot a less powerful rifle less kick a less anybody even an adult because when like a lot of people when they shoot my rifles they're able to get back on the animal quicker like so like right you could take 10 shots of my rifles and boom still be on target and that's why the prs world that's how it's all about it's all about you know less recoil and being able to acquire your target as fast as possible and that's why i've taken those skills and incorporated into my hunting skills and a lot of people, what I'm trying to, like, they zoom in too much on the animal with the scope. Yeah, it's great to have a 30-power scope. I love it, but I shoot at 14. Why yep. do you shoot at 14, Anthony? Because when I take that shot, I can see the, I can see the target again. Yep. And a lot of people are like, okay, let me zoom you in. Let me zoom you in. No. 14, 16. I don't. 14 to 16 is perfect. You can make a 1,000-yard shot at 14 to 16. Yeah, it's nice to have a 30-power scope. And like I said, I have them. And don't get me wrong. I use it. But I use it to see what's in front of the animal, what's blocking their vitals or that. But I'll never shoot at 30. I'll shoot at my 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 prefer, like where I shoot most is at 14. Even at PRS is 14. And well, so let's go back. I'm sorry. I really wanted to go back to the scope because uh, I really think that is such a big key to people's success is that when they just give somebody their their gun, 
and say, okay, mount the scope for me, and here's the strings, and here's everything, and that's it. They're mounting that now the, the, the whoever the tech is to mount that scope is mounting that scope to them. You got to mount that scope to you. Be there with the guy. Don't leave him. Mm-hmm. Stay there. Have him hand you the rifle. Have him hand you the rifle five, six times until... My thing is this, and obviously most professionals will have them do it, but be there with them. Have the scope zoomed at 30, whatever. Let's say 30 is the thing. And make sure that where your your eye relief and everything is perfect for you to see that 30 and that you're acquiring the target like that so that they can move the scope either in or out so that it's fit to you. Correct. And a lot of people don't do that. They just hand the scope to somebody and say, hey, can you do this for me? And they just hand it off. And think it's universal. Yeah, and it's not. And <clears throat> your kid's going to have a hard time. You know, that's why I say it's like, it sucks because you, not everybody has the means to have a rifle for every kid. They just have one. But, you know, if your son is going or your daughter is going on a hunt and they're going to be shooting this rifle, specifically they're going to be shooting this rifle get it fixed for them get their cheek pad fit for them get everything sighted in for them and if you have to take the rifle again for yourself go do it again for yourself because you want them to be comfortable you don't want them to be kind of like lifting their head up to acquire the target and they're going to get that little ring around there and see right yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah so Everybody, like, if I can give you any bit of advice, fit the rifle for the person that's going to use it and not just think it's set for them because they're going to have a hard time. I've had many guys give their, they're like, oh, my wife is going to shoot my rifle. Here you go. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's shooting out the thousand yards, blah, blah, blah. And then the wife gets the rifle and, I, and I'm with them because they wanted me to help them teach them. And then they're like, I see this little black ring. I can't really, I can't see it. And then I have to go really close to get, and and, and their freaking nose is like almost touching the the, 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 rear. the, the scope. Or their eye is like so close. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, we need to change this out. No, but it's perfect. Uh, not, not for, for her. her. Yep. And that's, and if if I could give the advice, let's, let's get it straight, guys. Right. Take the time and set it up perfect for you, whoever. Yeah, it sucks to have to do that. And I have, like, I hate doing my own scopes. But that's why I have guns. Now I, I built each kid a rifle, and that's it's, your rifle. I don't have to mess with it. It's time-consuming, yeah. but if you want it to be if accurate. You, it to work, it's gonna, you have to do it. And that's, and that's where I find most issues with is the scope and people. Like, that's, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, so... Let's take it back to the archery world. So, this so is a archery. rifle podcast, Mikey. No, no, my, he's <laughs> and and this is how I actually bring it back to this too a lot. I'm kidding, because yeah. a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And so, go ahead. And so, like, think about the archery world. So, I have two bows that I have up there. I have a target bow and I have a hunting bow. Most people have one bow. They go and they buy one bow and that's their bow. But this, those same people, you go to their safe and they got fifteen rifles with scopes. So, so take that analogy of you're buying one high-quality bow that fits you, and that's what you shoot. For most people, they shoot it for targets. They shoot it for hunting, except for I got into target shooting, so now I have a, a specific target bow. But all of us like to have a gun safe full of guns. 
You have every caliber. Sometimes you have two of every caliber, and you have all these things. So now let's take about everything we just talked about, and we have all these guns that really don't fit us, that really are not set for the individuals in our household, but we have lots of guns in the safe, and we like to feel good that we have all these different guns, and we win guns, we buy raffle tickets, and we have all these great guns, and we go out and shoot these guns maybe once, twice, maybe three times a year, then the other half just sit in the gun safe, and five years, 10 years, 15 years goes down, we never touch them. So now we get these tags that are hard to get, and we go and pull the dust off one of the guns that we like to shoot, and we shoot it, and we just assume that it's going to be accurate and shoot just like how we've talked about today. So think about if we took the approach that we have all this investment of all these guns in the safe, if we just eliminated a third of those guns, or even half those guns, what could we build as a universal gun that would be precision as you're talking about and we have the financial to do it because when we look at our safe we're all guilty i mean i know so many people that's got all these different guns that they never touch but it's it's this mindset that i have all these guns and we have all these scopes that i can hunt i have a 243 a 30-06 a 270 you know 300 we have all this range of guns that we're, we're going to use this gun for this animal but the, but the reality is we can use the same gun for almost every species in arizona you know and that we're going to draw you know when it comes to the Havelina, the deer, the elk, things like that, or the antelope. So it's interesting that my light bulb kind of came on when you're talking about this is why do we have all these guns instead of just saying, hey, we're going to have two or three guns that we're going to invest and build these guns specifically for us. That's a lifetime investment that will shoot basically from zero to 800 yards, wherever your comfort level is, and be accurate and have the bullets match and everything else instead of going in and just pulling a gun out and shooting. So then I'm going to take the full circle is, is think about when you're on a rifle deer hunt or an elk hunt. You're out there, it's opening morning, and all of a sudden you're, and all of a sudden the next group over there, and actually now you're counting all these shots, and it's exactly what you said. They get up there, they get excited, they make the first shot, they miss, they're trying to reestablish that animal, and next thing you know, they're unloading their gun, that animal's moving, they're unloading the gun. And we're hearing all this gun shooting all around us, all these people missing that are basically just unloading their firearms at all these different animals, and they're missing because they weren't prepared. The gun didn't fit them. They, they didn't spend the time behind it. And, and it's crazy. I mean, every time I go help on a youth hunt or help somebody else, I hear all this shooting, and it's all these guys. Are used, it's funny. You've done it. You know what I'm talking about, oh, right? I know. I'm laughing like, here. Because it's the reality. Is like that guy wasn't prepared. This guy wasn't prepared. And that animal's gone. And they just keep shooting and shooting. And that animal's maybe it started at 100 yards. And they're still shooting at 1,000 yards when they're gun sighted for 200 yards. You know, it's it's kind of comical, you know? Oh, and, and, for sure. And they, they carry two boxes of shells with them. And they're going back to camp with the box shell. You know, it's, it's interesting. So next time you're out there, listeners, you know. You're on a rifle, and you're going to hear it, and that's exactly what we're talking about is these people are, and I'm guilty, we're not prepared because we pull it out, wipe the dust, and go out and shoot, and that gun isn't ready to go out and kill something, you know, and shoot it. So it's interesting. You opened my eyes and made me remember a lot of cool stuff. So No, it's, and yeah, and I don't want my kids to learn like that. Yeah. And they don't know that. Yep. They have been, I, I love my father. My dad is the man that made me who I am today. And I, I'm not putting him down here because he's, he's a freaking phenomenal shot standing. Nobody, there's nobody in this world that I've ever seen that could do what he does standing with a rifle. Okay. I, I can't, I suck. 
I'm the worst stand-up shooter there is in the world, okay? And he could do it, and he can make me, and he's, he's 76 years old, and he could still do it standing, okay? But I've taken that standing shot, and I've never hit shit. I have never hit an animal. I've missed multiple times. So for me, I'm not going to teach my kids that because it don't work. Mm -hmm. But for my dad, it works. Yep. But for me, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Now, my dad, he, I've tried to teach him how to shoot the way I shoot. And I wish somebody would have taken the time to teach my dad to teach me the way I shoot now because he didn't know any better. He used to hunt in New York. They used to sit by a tree and wait for a deer to pass them and then just blast them, you know? Yep. And all they had to shoot was 50 to 100. 100 yards was like freaking, you're a, you're a sniper back in New York. You know, they, they it was thick. So my dad, when we came to Arizona, that's how he thought we'd do it. Just get out of, you know, drive around the car, get out and shoot something like standing. And that never worked for me. And I wasn't successful until I started to do the methods that I that I I've learned by myself through my cousin John, through other good hunters here in Arizona. And the method that I use is properly being stable on a rifle. And we're not I I could shoot standing, but give me a TBD bag and my freaking tripod, and I'll make any shot. I could make it. But not free-handed is what you're referring to, right? Yeah, and they just they just didn't know, like they couldn't give you those that that knowledge because I, they didn't have it. The technology wasn't there yet. They no one shot off of tripods. No one had bags. Yeah, just like the technology in bullets nowadays. Yeah, and my kids now they don't know any different. And having seeing them shoot, <laughs> they're. So they've been shooting since they're, what, eight years old? Now I said the oldest is 18, so it's, let's say 10 years. These kids can make shots out way past 1,000. Not that they shoot an animal that far, but they can make that shot. But they don't know that they're not going to miss. Mm-hmm. They know when they're going to, when they if they do everything correctly, and they have missed, don't get me wrong. They, they messed up with turrets, <clears throat> putting in, you know, the clicks into the scope. They... They messed up not uh, doing their ocular, you know, making sure the focus wasn't correct. So thing, stupid things. Yeah, they missed. But if they go through their process and make everything right, they're not going to miss. Because they're not going to take a shot if they're not steady. Yep. They don't know how to not be steady. Exactly. And and that's what I mean. Like, I, I wish my dad would have taught me because I, I could have got so many more animals. I can't tell you how many times I missed in the past. But now it's like... If I give somebody a rifle and I teach them like little skills, mm-hmm. I know that they're going to make the shot 100%. And, and that's, let's, I mean, I want all kids to learn this. I want them all to, to be comfortable shooting. And that's, like I said, that's why I built the business and that's why I have the bags and that's why, you know, I have everybody do how, like, I know my, my process is correct. Right. I'm not saying it's the only process, but it's a good one. Yeah, many things work, but this is what works for me, and that's why I want to teach you this because it works for me. I know how to 
articulate it to you. And I've seen numerous other people repeat it with success. Right? 100%. 100%. And like I said, I've had little kids come into my garage and right before a hunt, their dad called me up. Hey, uh, can I buy some bags from you? I'm like, yeah, sure. They're like, my son's got to hunt tomorrow. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, he knows how to shoot, but uh, we want your bags. I'm like, but you never shot off the bags before. He's like, how have you been shooting before? And, and th- we're not we're not talking about like one or two. We're talking about a lot. Right. I'm like, listen, have your kid come to my garage yep. the night before. And this is, they're com- they're going to leave from my garage and go hunting. I'm like, come to my house and I'll teach your kid how to shoot off the bags. And you're having dads buy freaking bags right there in my garage. And I, I like, I don't recommend doing that, guys, please. But I'll do it for somebody that really needs it. I will, you know, extend Buy it ahead of time and practice. Yeah. But I'll have these kids in my garage and we'll be dry firing in my garage and teaching them how to shoot off the bags. And I'm breaking in the bags for them because you need to break in these bags. Mm -hmm. And you need need that. It's They don't work right if you don't break them in. Um, Don't bring them in too much. But, I mean, they need to be broken in. So... I highly recommend just practice what you, you know, you have to be practicing. Don't just take them on a hunt and be like, oh, just pull the trigger. It's not like that. I mean, right. They yeah. really need to, like, get set up and be practicing with any setup that they're doing, not even only if it's just my bags or anything. Whatever method that you're teaching them, make sure you're, you're doing this on a constant basis and dry firing the rifle. We talked about getting that level base, getting it on there properly, using proper rings, using the highest quality and the highest, the best scope that you can afford. Can you touch on having that bubble level or the anti-cant level on your rings, on your base, wherever you want to put it, or what are you, what are you teaching? Um, there's so many out there. Um, I don't like the ones that are on the rings because they're so small. You can barely see them. Um, you want something that you can see. So I like something that flips out kind of, and that you could see how, not the, not the dad, the shooter, right. You know, or you need to see it. Right. And you need to be conscious of it. Nowadays, I've a lot of like, there's some scopes out there. Uh, Best of the West actually really makes a great scope with the freaking bubble level inside of it. Sig Sawyer has like an electronic one that I used to own. That inside the scope, you press a button and then it'll tell you if you're canting left or right. Right. Phenomenal. And I think most Leopold has that too. Uh, does I don't, inside the scope now? Yeah, there's like a red dot, and if it's an anti-cant, it, okay, it's there. Or if it, I think it's just plain crosshairs. If you start canting it left or right, you'll see the red dot. Okay, so yeah, like certain things like that, and and, and just a normal bubble level. But got to make sure that that bubble level is, you know, level. Right. You know, some people have it on, and then I'm like looking at it, I'm like, oh, you just crosshairs are at a forty five. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure it's being properly set up correctly. But yeah, any level that you could see while you're in the scope that you don't have to take your head up off of is is a good one uh, i don't have any particular ones in my brain right now there's electronic ones that some of them go on to the to the mounts of the scopes but a lot of that stuff is all prs related yeah uh, and big money like we're talking big money 
Um, what are, what is your process in order to get that level to the crosshairs or level to the action? Because I know that's where a lot of people mess up. They put the level. They've heard about that. They know that they need to have that for longer range so that it is encanted, and they don't get that. Well, honestly, if they're going to put a level on it, put it at the same time. You're going to put you're going to mount the scope and have whoever is mounting the scope level both things at the same time. Uh, however. A lot of them, you have to freaking take off the scope to mount it on. Uh, certain ones, you can mount onto the Picatinny rail, and you don't have to take out, take off the scope. Um, I would, I mean, if you don't have other levels to make sure that everything is level, then it's kind of hard to explain. Right. I have all the tools. I have those wheelers, and you know, to, I put to, it in a vice and make sure that you know. Vice is great. Put it in a vise, put some rags or something on there so that it's protecting the stock. Take that bolt out, and when you're putting the base on, put the blue lock tight, like you said, and you got to either have some sort of level off the action or the flattest part of that scope to indicate, you know, all of it has to work together. And sometimes, I, I was taught by uh, one of a buddy, he even puts, you know, like a plumb bob, out at 100 yards there's nothing more straight than that and you put the crosshairs on that plumb bob and have a level on the bottom of that scope or the flattest portion and then you're putting you know turn it until it's level and then you're putting your bubble level on the on the action or excuse me on the base itself oh you're talking about mounting the scope yeah mounting it and having that I just thought you were talking about mounting the level. No, like I got it. You're incorporating the level of the, you know, you want that reticle, top dead center. You know what I mean? Like you want that nuts on, and you want your bubble level, whether it be you know built into the rings or whether it's one of the big ones that's on your you know support side or primary side, wherever you feel you can see it the best. But having that level and your scope in conjunction with each other is paramount correct correct 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah i there's so many ways of doing it i don't feel like any way is wrong but i have the one that goes i have a lever for the for the, where the front of the barrel is connect it then i do it for the picatinny rail make sure each one of them together are level then I'll start mounting everything. And yes, I usually use a vice, some type of vice to make sure that everything is like completely steady. So yeah, I mean, even just like the slightest move, yeah. it's going to come out of a level. I know so. some guys, they think it's already level and they see or hear the importance of getting a level now and they, cause they want to extend their range. It's important, even though it's a pain in the butt, you got to take that scope off. If you're going to put a level on, to me, you can't just put a, a bubble level on it after the scope's been mounted and everything. I would implore you, you tell me if you do things differently, I would take it all off and re-zero it if you're putting a bubble level on, unless it was perfect from the get-go. But if you're putting the bubble level on and you've had this rifle with a scope on it for years, it's not going to be plumb and level to that scope and to that new bubble level. I agree. I mean, as long I mean, if the scope is already level, and you could get the the level on it without taking it off, then yeah, I, would, I mean, I would. If you know it's already level, then I would say I would. I could. I would install it uh, and make sure it's level to that. But 
sometimes it's good to take off the scope. Right. And remount it. It it does stink having to do all that, <laughs> but to me it's, it's if you're going to do it. it. Yeah. And then make sure you clean everything really good cuz right. there's so much dust inside those things. It's but nowadays like back in the day they used to use like a resin to mount the scope and I can't tell you how many times I'll take off a, an old scope find that like whatever type of resin it is but you can't find that resin anymore i don't have it i wish i did but they have like like little uh like ridges yep. inside the scope that were meant to have that that powder in there or whatever interesting it was. i haven't seen that yeah yep. yeah i've seen so many old scopes like that so we got the we got the base on we got the rings on we got the level on we got the scope mounted can you touch it, it it could be a whole nother podcast on its own, but can you touch a little bit on the turrets? A lot of people um, don't know what it is to dial in your dope and dial in MOA or dial in mills. They have plenty of action or plenty of different apps out on phones. Um, if you go out prior to and you're able to do it and you can have like a little dope card if you know the terrain and you're going into. So I, that's Okay. <laughs> and this is where you're gonna open up a whole bag a can of worms. Yeah, it's, it's now in the PRS world, you never do that. You never, you never strap anything to the side of your gun. Right. It's worth of everything is garbage within minutes. Maybe not minutes, but your your dope card is completely off in every terrain that you're gonna be in. Right. And that's why everybody carries a Kestrel with them. Right. And it's been my best friend since I bought one. I've had one for now two years and. And I used to be that guy that had everything written on the side of my rifle. And I'd still do. Don't get me wrong. And my 6.5 cream war, we're talking, I, I'm i not going to lie. It, it, it's not perfect, but it's good enough for hunting. Right. Okay. Yeah, this is for hunting scenario, not for PRS, not for NRL. But what I've found is that it's not good enough for me anymore. Now I want my kids to make sure that every shot is hundred percent completely perfect and nothing in there's nothing better than a kestrel out there in my opinion to tell you where you're at and it's going to do all the math for you in a second right like, so quick and it's going to give you you'd be surprised on those long range shots we're not talking we're not talking five six hundred yards we're talking eight and above seven eight that's where all the misses happen I'm not saying that you couldn't miss it 500 yards, but today's technology, 500 yards is like a chip shot if you know what you're doing. Right. Um, and I see most misses past 500. That's where the wind and all the other data and everything is being processed that it's going to have the most effect on the bullet. Right. And um, that's where the Kestrel and all your dope really come into play. And... There's so I. It's so much to say in a podcast. I know to really explain it. I put you on the spot. It's okay. Um, so at 500 yards, if you're really doing something, and this is just at one level, one elevation, one temperature, whatnot, and this is how you're you're figuring it out. And that's why I said it, I can't like really. Explain yeah, the Kestrel's taking in everything, all the variables, no matter where you're at. Exactly. So when I do it into the to my calculator. So let's like say like I have an eye snipe calculator that I use. I'll sh I'll put in all the data. So the feet per second, I use usually use like the G7 instead of the G1 um, feet per second. 
height of the scope and what have you, and I throw in that data. Right. Then I'll gather the data, either if it's MOA or MIL. I, I like, now I like MIL. I don't like MOA, but I, I still understand the MOA game. A lot of hunters are using the MOA. So I'll, whatever, I'll plug in everything into the, into the, into the calculator. And I'll have, so make sure everything's zero, obviously. And then I'll shoot 500 yards, okay? I'm making sure 300 yards right now is, I'll shoot 300 yards once, make sure I hit it, and then I'll go out to 500 yards. At 500 yards, I'm actually, I don't ever usually shoot at a target anymore. I shoot at a little rock. I find the little rock that's 500 yards, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll look at it. And I'll, and aim my, small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. My buddy Dave, my buddy, buddy Dave is one that taught me this, and he's like one of the number one shooters here in the state of Arizona, and I'm blessed to have him as a friend. Um, he said, listen, this is how you, you do it, and this is how all you know, the professional shooters are doing it. So he'll go out to 500 yards and he'll shoot and make sure that he's not shooting like below it. Cause that big target, you shoot like just a little below, a little higher, whatever. He's making sure he's shooting at that little rock and he's hitting that little rock. So now if he's not hitting that rock at 500 yards with the dope, but he's saying it now he's going to manipulate the feet per second. He's not going to, that's what he's going to manipulate. So he's going to take whatever he's gathered even though his 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 um like uh his data is saying that his rifle is shooting at let's say twenty nine hundred feet per second, <clears throat> if he's shooting higher, right, he's gonna he's gonna like make his bullet go faster to what it was saying. If okay. he's shooting lower, he's gonna drop it. So Say it. So let's let's. He's keep, manually entering. Yeah, yeah. Instead of what he had before, now he's like either lowering or hiring. Okay. That until he shoots that dime. Okay. Now, now that he figured out the five hundred yards that he manipulated the feet per second on his rifle, now he takes it out to a thousand yards. Now, when he hits a thousand yards, he's going to do the same process. He's going to shoot at a little rock. Okay. When he shoots at the rock. And either if he's going higher or lower, he's going to mess with the BC of the bullet. Now, that's where you get your, like, really fine tune of what you're shooting. Mm -hmm. The book says this, but my rifle is doing this. Right. Now, this is what you need to do. So now you're changing the BC, either you're going higher or lower on your BC to match what the clicks of your rifle are doing. Once you figure that out, now you're set, and now you're good to go out to a thousand yards. And now it's true to your rifle, not to what the box said. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's so if that helps you out, I mean, that's a huge thing that I've learned. It took me many years to learn it, and that's like a little secret that's in the PRS world. But for anybody out there that's really learning this and wants the information, here you go. I mean, that's the best I could give you. I just got one question. Yeah. Back in high school, we used the word dope. That meant that's cool, but you know, that was a slang word all through high school. Dude, that's dope. So what the heck is dope for all of our listeners? I have no idea what dope means. Right, so so I, when I hear that, that just means, hey, it's cool. Everything's going good, man. <laughs> you, you hanging out? Yeah, we're hanging out. Let's, let's have a good time. So it's like the dope card. That's like a dope card. It's telling you all the information. The data the, the on data. previous engagement. There you go. Okay. All right. Just for all of our listeners to know, because I'm going back to high school, and that just meant, hey, we're hanging out. We're having a good time, and it, we're dope. 
man. We're good. I was there too in high school. So I know <laughs> I, you're, I know I you're a little that. bit older than me, but we had the same well, language. It has, it has three meanings. It could mean weed. It yeah. could mean All right. cool, or it could mean data yeah. on a rifle. I just thought it meant we're cool. We're shooting long range. That's what I was well, thinking. Well, we are cool that we shoot long range. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Listen, I'm a bow hunter too. I love it. And listen, John, you know John. John's oh, yeah. 100% bow, like yep. 95%. Yep, I'm there with him. And now that I've got him with the long range, he's now he's liking it. He's yep. like, he's enjoying it. I'm not going to lie. He He's like, you know what? I think I can reach that. And I think in the last, whatever, five years, he's, he's, he's busted it out and taken a few animals that he's That's like, cool. you know what? I'm tired of having to like struggle with the damn bow and get so damn close. But he treats the the rifle. I love my cousin because he he's an amazing hunter, and he he really is passionate about the whole thing. Yeah. But when he rifle hunts, it's so funny because he treats it like a bow. He's like, I'm gonna shoot it from here. Yep. I'm gonna get to that place right there, and I'm gonna get it. And I love it because he does it with all his clients, and I've taken. That approach to the way how I hunt with my kids and how I hunt with friends and I, yeah, everything I do is to help out people and 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 that's what we should be doing. Exactly. I mean, we can't. Like I said, I wish I had the knowledge I had now, thirty years ago, and I want to give that to some kid or some somebody that hasn't had that and give them that because hunting is not the most popular thing in the world to do any day. And we're looked bad upon and we're sometimes we're looked good upon, you know, it's just, it's not not a, like something that we've done. Like our ancestors has done and looked like we were praised and, and whatnot. We're looked actually down upon. So when somebody comes to me and asks me for help, I am willing to give them the information that I've learned and I want them to be successful what kid do you not want to be successful? Like in a baseball game or a basketball game, when they make that shot, they feel so good about themselves. Same thing with shooting yep. a rifle. Every yep. time I take a kid and they make a one shot and they hit that ding, yep. ding, yep. I see a smile on their face that's invaluable. Yep. Yep. It's awesome. Yep. It's awesome. And even that's a good an adult. I mean, I love taking adults too that never really shot or thought they knew how to shot. And then I like changed their world and they're like, Man, I could never shoot a hundred yards before, and now we're shooting out the year. Wow, it's crazy! It's crazy. I love it. I love it. I know we could. We'll probably have you on again and talk a whole lot more. Um, can you one leave us with uh, any last words, and two, how can everybody get a hold of you or follow you? Last words: Have fun. Don't don't make it so serious. If your kid misses a shot, don't make it like seem like it's the end of the world um, or whoever. Just enjoy the time that you're spending out in the field because we don't get these days very often. So when your kid does have a tag or your wife has a tag, don't be so negative or like be so like hard on them. Go at their pace. Enjoy the time that you're out in the field. Even if you don't get something, don't make it be the end of the world. Make it an experience that they'll never forget and want to go back with you. If that's if that's a, a, a something that I could give to any parent. Great that's, words. That's what I've learned for myself because I enjoy my time in the field with my kids, my family, my friends, and it's we're all working. We're 
that's, you know, we have to put food on the table. But when we have this time and I'm learning that when my kids are getting older, I'm having less time with them because they're busy doing what they're doing. Right. And so, time is precious. Exactly. So don't don't waste it. <clears throat> and where you could get in touch with us on you can get in touch with me on Instagram at Phoenix Shooting Bags. Um, you can look at our website. It's Phoenix Shooting Bags dot com. Uh, you guys can call me if you need any information on what bags to buy. Uh, if you need any help or want, you know, any of that, um, I mean, should I give my phone number or just have Whatever it? Whatever you want. Or you, if you want, just you can reach me out on phoenixshootingbags at yahoo.com and you could just email me. Perfect. And as we always do, we close in prayer. Mikey? All right, Lord God, we just uh, we thank you, Lord, that we come together, Lord, and just uh, talk about your creation, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for the wisdom and the, the passion that we have on long-range shooting and firearms and I know my eyes are open, Lord, and I just thank you, Lord, for this uh, new friendship, Lord. And I just ask that you bless this company, Lord, bless this family, Lord. And, and Lord, just help us to, to look and see the big picture of life, Lord, of enjoyment and happiness, Lord, and, and to give back. And, and I think when I <clears throat> look at this whole podcast that came today, Lord, you, you can feel and sense the passion that, you know, our kids are our next generation, Lord, to impact them and teach them, Lord, and mentor and and with the shooting, Lord, it's a great skill, Lord. And I just ask that the, our listeners, Lord, would... would have a glimmer of this hope, Lord, and, and make an impact for their family, Lord. And I just ask that you bless all of our followers, Lord. Bless uh, our, our country, Lord, and bless our world, Lord. And we just, as we as we move into the fall season, Lord, I just ask that you uh, give guidance and, and oversight, Lord, with our elections that are coming up in November, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. <laughs>